0: Welcome to Call and Shots. This is Seth Partnow. Uh, today, joined by—I'm surprised that I actually haven't managed to get you on before, and I think that's not actually true. I think you came on once anyway. Uh, from Dunked On, uh, my friend Danny Larue. Danny, how are you doing?
1: Doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, a little, a little less disappointed. A little disappointed that Costa Rica couldn't couldn't advance out that for that, a, that, that, that two glorious minutes.
0: Yeah, that was that was two minutes, and yeah. Um, but oh well. Well, the, uh, Japan is through, so that that's fun. Um, go USA on Saturday. Uh, it will be nerve wracking. Um, so we're at the quarter pole of the NBA season. Um, and something that struck me just, you know, as we were getting talking before we started is before the year you and I talked, and I think me and everyone and you and everyone had talked about how this season is one of the more wide open seasons in prospect with as many as 10, 12, teams thinking they had legit title aspirations a month in it seems like we're down to four as of right now
1: yeah it's an interesting thought and I always want to caution people you know we're at as you put it the quarter poll and so we have four full months and then a few weeks before the playoffs even start much less finish so teams can look different than they have so far, and teams will. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks, who have been one of those four teams, are getting Chris Middleton back reportedly on Friday. But I think part of what you look for in that early season, and there are lots of teams that have impressed and surprised, but you're looking for, okay, who's in that mix now? Who's Who's in the great game now? And generally speaking, nobody's really pushed their way into that just yet for me who wasn't already there.
0: More for me is there teams that, as of right now, have kind of pushed their way out of that. Sure. Um, I mean, obviously, before the season, we were like, well, if everything comes together correctly for Brooklyn. um, Now, obviously, as you say, a lot can change between now and then, but a lot has to change there. Um, Golden State, is it fair to say, seems about two rotation guys short. Uh, The Clippers are an even bigger health question than they were before the season. Um, you know, the Lakers, I, I think that were being talked about just because of the Lakers. I don't think they ever belonged there. Um, the Sixers have yet to really be the sum of their parts when their parts are all healthy. Um, so, yeah, so it's a lot of teams that we thought might be there at the start of the season, just kind of haven't quite launched yet. I guess the one team that we're really – Sort of waiting on is Memphis now that uh now that you know with with John Jaron both both healthy, but they don't have Desmond Bain.
1: Right, and and so there are a few teams that we haven't seen all the way there, and I would include Denver in that just because Jamal Murray is working his way back. You know, like there we haven't gotten the fully operational Denver Nuggets yet, and there have been some positive things, but also I, I can't remember their exact number right now. I think they're somewhere in the twenties on defense and. Most of that is because they've been atrocious with their bench units. But, you know, we're, 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 again, a team that the theory of it is still in the mixable, but we're not all the way there. And then with the Clippers, it's been better over the last week or so. But a part of it is like, okay, we can pencil, pencil in, you know, like more Kawhi or whatever else. But it was also like, okay, are the other players good enough? And until very recently, I wasn't confident that their support players were good enough, but they've been a little bit better. Maybe they're going to get all the way there. I still really like Ty Lu as a playoff coach. So, yeah, it, we still have a lot of ifs, and we don't have a lot of yeahs.
0: I'm sorry I'm chuckling because uh, frequent listener Charlie uh, put in the chat. Uh, um, uh, Bucks fans are quite uh, riled about uh, Nate not having uh, – your your partner, your podcast partner, Nate Duncan, not having the uh, Bucks in the top ten of his organizational rankings. Sure, the Bucks are getting Middleton back. But let's not forget about Rashad Vaughn getting picked in twenty fifteen. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, derail us, why don't you? Um, I want to. So I want to talk about Denver a little bit. Let's do it. So you're right about everything you said about them. But at this point, what are they? They're 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 fourteen and seven and mm-hmm. and and Jokic is kind of easing his way into the season. He hasn't been he's been much more deferential offensively than he has been the last two years. And I think that's, you know, both by design of of getting his team getting some, you know, teammates like Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. back, but also having played all summer, not wanting to go, you know, full pedal to the metal. For six months again, like which makes a lot of sense. So even not being, you know, the fully operational, the Denver star, death star, I'm, that's terrible. I'm not sorry. Um, they're still, you know, winning games. Like the Bucks haven't been great this year, and they've been missing, even with Middleton out, but they've been winning games. Last night against the Knicks was certainly case in point where they did just enough to win against a team they're much better than. So Denver seems like they're all upside right now in that they've already established that they can win games now and they're going to get better.
1: I think that's totally fair. And one stat to kind of bear that out is that while Denver, their defense overall has been bad, when their their intended starting five, and I would presume closing five, of Murray, Caldwell Pope, Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Jokic, plus 14.7 cleaning the glass net rating and about 400 possessions together. So they've been and and those groups have been good defensively. They actually haven't been as great offensively, but a lot of the other Jokic included lineups have been. It's just I think that group has missed some threes if memory serves. And so it's really like the the question for Denver, it's it's so weird because so I think the way that I apply it. You brought up Milwaukee. I think they're an interesting one. Obviously the Warriors have won a recent championship as well. Where it's where we give them a lot of deference because we've seen it before and the the roster isn't so fundamentally different. And so it's like if they can get back there, we kind of know what they are. The challenge with Denver, and you could say to it to an extent this is also true with Cleveland for a different reason, is that we haven't seen it in those moments yet. And so there's a little bit of that skepticism. But in terms of like the basic idea of they can be a good team and they can be a good team that can succeed against other good teams, yeah, I'm on I'm on board with you. And I mean, I don't want to go all the way back to that like two weeks when they might have been the best team in the league, might have been the championship favorites. But they, the theory of the Nuggets is still very viable.
0: It's just a question if, if kind of – are there enough of them for four rounds of playoff basketball. Yeah, and and, and it's in I guess we have some time to see. I feel as of right now I feel confident in about 6 of them, assuming health.
1: Right, and that's I mean something that I the bubble helped articulate this in my mind, but a lot of things have is like the people always put asterisks on the teams that win the championship. And the general rule is it's the healthiest team that's in the mix. Like that is the the nature of the war of attrition that the NBA playoffs are. And one fundamental problem that some teams go through is you have to have some players that, I don't know the right verb on this, but like they can survive the war of attrition. You know, you have enough, maybe you can bring in somebody and you're often not like if your star goes out, then you're you're in a bad way anyway. Like that's that's not the situation we're talking about, but you need – low-end rotation players. And I mean, Chanchar has been an important part of their success as they've been kind of, as Mike Malone's been reworking this bench, but the, the, the trust part of it is a very real concern. And then the other part is just the idea that can Denver's best five defend against the absolute best teams? And I think, I mean, you know, Denver, when they beat the Clippers in that series, that gave me more faith in them. But it is true that they haven't defended a team like the Warriors truly well. And you're going to face a team that structures guard heavy at some point.
0: That's right. And, and, and there's two, I feel like there's two parts of what you're talking about. One is, is kind of the regular season innings eaters. And then just enough to, to have, to have some. Not just robustness to like little injuries or foul trouble in the playoffs, but also I think the the strategic flexibility to deal with the different challenges that that each successive playoff series holds.
1: Right, and then there's also the question, which I think Michael Malone has answered, but for some teams this comes up: of do you, do they have the people deciding in place who will push the right buttons if they have the buttons to push?
0: I mean, the the question is with them: is do they have
1: the buttons buttons to push? Exactly. Those? Yeah, I think that's really fair and that could end up being a question for the Bucks depending on how things work out. It's I mean, I hope it's not. I hope they I hope that all those players do work out. And one of the funniest parts about it is so there are, you have this other element which I think is worth a little bit of a discussion here. So we talked about how the group of teams at the top is narrow. I also don't think those teams are bulletproof. They're they're very good and they've been playing very well, but the idea that the celtics as well as they played and they haven't had robert williams that they're just a juggernaut like maybe maybe there's something more akin to the 14 15 warriors where they haven't they they, this team had a playoff run that, that that warriors team never had previously but like i my fears about boston's offense as great as they've been against the best defenses in the league i'm not all the way over those yet
0: no there's a little bit of of almost with the same thing with phoenix is is okay we know these teams are, as you say, in the mix. You're going to have to show me in the playoffs for me to really believe it. You're going to have to. Boston ha, has been beating people so badly that we don't know the degree to which they're over. Kind of the, the whole prevent offense thing, which made just getting to the finals, I think, more of a slog than they needed to be last year. I mean, it's, it's
1: well, and, people and, and, here. And, so-, oh, so go ahead. No, and, and on that point, I think as, as great as Boston has been, as well as they played last year, it is a something that I think gets lost a little bit. Like, there's, it's the I use the phrase line drive in the box score a lot because I grew up a baseball fan, but they had trouble against some very limited teams last year in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And they, you know, and then they, they did well in the beginning part of the series against the Warriors. They did well even in the game they eventually got knocked out before, before the Warriors ran them out of the gym. But the idea that they were some sort of world beater in last year's playoffs, when two of the teams they advanced against were arguably better than them in those series, just severely injured, you know that that gives you a little bit of pause.
0: It's funny you, we, you can take you can take a completely different narrative from the same thing because yep. I, I would have said that in, in those series that for the first forty four minutes of games, uh, <laughs> Boston was substantially better and then um, they played prevent offense and and made a lot of lot of games more exciting than needed to be that's i think that's part of why both series went seven games and i think that probably hurt them in the finals to have to, to go through that and then obviously in the finals i mean was it uh, what was it game 6 where they game 5 where they was it game game 4 was it where they they were in a commanding position midway through the fourth quarter and then just stopped playing and never really got back into the series from then.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think that was game four. And and part of the fun of basketball is that almost every team has this baggage until they don't. And that you 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 have all these doubts and then they get through it. And it's, it's so anomalous that there's a team that's way, way more talented than everybody else and makes it through. And, and then there, and there are just no doubts. And so they'll have those opportunities and, but that also gets us back to the kind of the core idea, which is, okay, you're not going to assuage all of these concerns. You're not going to be able to do that until April, May, June, but are we seeing something fundamentally different with you or seeing a new, a new wrinkle? Maybe it's a player who's stepped up and, you know, like Jason Tatum's playing at an MVP level so far, he's, you know, he was in the second tier of my preliminary ballot, Nate, and I did awards yesterday. And really, yeah. Who's who's
0: in the first tier? He's in the just, second. Just,
1: just Steph. Like he's okay. His, that's
0: that's that's bonkers to me. But go ahead.
1: Oh, interesting. Um, and so just Stephen Curry's having one of the best offensive seasons I've ever seen, and it's not like Tatum's been unbelievable defensively. Like that's the kind of the tiebreaker, and. And, but every, but the tier two is everyone else. And so that's, I I could go through the whole group if you want to, but like. I I think it's a fundamental disagreement
0: about team success being a part of this. And, and, you know, as important as, as Steph has been, they're still, one team is 500. The other team is 18 and four. That has to matter.
1: It does matter, but you know, it's, and again, it's, it's early in the season. And I mean, the Warriors have been so bad like, you know, it's that fact. I mean, you and I had this argument years ago, or discussion. I don't think it was an argument about Trey Young, where it was like the team was so heinous when he was off the floor that they were, like, they were doing pretty badly. And people were like, you can't be an All-NBA. I mean, All-NBA and number one MVP are different. But, but like, so the question for me, going back to those top players, is are we seeing something new? And with Jason Tatum, I think the answer is absolutely yes.
0: I think so. And I think we're, we're seeing uh... – how much having just one more ball handler in in Malcolm Brogdon has helped them Mm
1: -hmm. on the flip
0: side. Like we're also seeing them play like perfect five out lineups for 48 minutes. The worst shooter they put on the floor is, is Marcus smart. Everyone else at this point, I think you can credit maybe like Derek white is probably an average catch and shoot player. Everyone else. I think um, if we believe Grant Williams and Sam Hauser. Uh, or is a plus catch and shoot player that obviously goes away. You're getting a much, you're getting a lot back of it on the defensive end, but wondering how that affects their, their offense if they're, they no longer have five guys, all of them can shoot. It, usually three, sometimes four, and, and occasionally five of them can dribble and pass also. Just how does, does, does plunking one sort of, more traditional paint presence on offense change what they're doing, as vital as his, as used to them defensively. I think that's something that that we're going to need to see a little bit, um, to you know get a sense of what their playoff offense is like, kind of this historical thing, or if it's just the the, the nature of kind of the, uh, the the shrunk down version of the Celtics that has been played so far this season, which I don't think I don't think is sustainable against kind of some of the best playoff teams just because of, of the lack of size and interior interior presence.
1: Right. Like I think the offensive part of it, the theory of, you know, if you could play five out all the time, it, it can, it can absolutely work. You're getting those guys opportunities, but it's, can you defend? But, at a yeah. Luke
0: Cornett can't play in a playoff series against the box.
1: I don't think so. And so Seth on that point, I th- I hadn't fully looked at this until you said it. This is, I think this is pretty incredible. So Of guys that have pretty consistently been in the Celtics rotation, there are, I think it's nine players that are taking about five three-pointers per 36 minutes or more, and every single one of them so far this year is hitting 34% or higher. Like, nobody's missing for them, even the guys who, you know, who's taking them at all. And... A lot of those, and and then you also have guys like Derek Weiss shooting forty five percent on the season. Brogdon's at forty nine percent on the season. Hauser's at forty eight, and so yeah, that that definitely helps. And it also opens up driving lanes, as you were talking about. You know, that sure. it, it, fundamentally, it changes the geometry of, of of what you have to defend and and everything else. And bringing in Robert Williams will make them better in some ways, worse in others. And there is also the element of teams. Like you wrote about this very well in the mid range theory of teams have kind of a base theory of of operations on offense and defense in the regular season and they're not going to target any of these specific things and the Celtics have fewer players to target than most but they definitely have some and so they they can benefit from that lack of that lack of tactical nuance and that's true of damn near everybody it's not a new thing it's not a different thing but it is It's a reason why you can see what they've done, appreciate what they've done, and still say, it doesn't make me 100% sure that against the best of the best, it's going to totally work.
0: So let's let's flip this around. And I think that at this point, even though they've struggled this season, my guess is that you have, certainly relative to how they've played kind of the rest of the year, you probably have more faith in Golden State in those kind of circumstances, you know, when it becomes kind of, and I think there's good reasons to, to buy that. I'm just wondering, are they going to get close enough for that sort of, is, is the big dial going to be dialed in well enough for the, their advantage and kind of the focus of the small dial to even matter?
1: It's a completely fair question. And whether you want to talk about it from a basic seating perspective, where the chances that the Warriors have a really good, didn't have home court advantage in even like relatively early rounds is actually fairly low right now they've been their best players have actually been pretty healthy to start this year and so you're giving yourself a really narrow margin for rare. but generally speaking for me teams that I believe in the theory of the case I think can handle a, a winning a road game or two like that's that's the way that it is for me and so like the the idea that if the Warriors are whole, whole meaning like th- their best players are available, not meaning they have the one seed. Like I'm I'm going to deal with a team that has their their biggest deficit is like a couple of re- bench rotation players, which also might be solved by then versus somebody like, let's say the Suns where they're a very good team. I think they're going to be firmly in this conversation where I'm just not sure what they do is going to work against teams as good as the very tippy top. Yeah. Like, do you think – I don't know. Is there, I, is, there a series, is there a series that you could put the Warriors in that you don't think they'll – you think they'll get run off the floor defensively?
0: I just don't know if they can – against a good defensive team, if they can score enough consistently, frankly.
1: It's a, it's fair. I mean, and, I they, think
0: and, and and And, again, we're talking over the course of – I was musing about this the other day during the game, and and I was thinking that, like, we we talk so much about Dallas needing another ball handler, another another creator. I think Golden State needs one almost as much, and maybe that's. I mean, I'll, some of that might just be Jordan Poole playing better. But even then, like, given the decline in Draymond Green, in that aspect.
1: Well, and the uncertainty that Clay Thompson is Clay Thompson. Yeah, right? I mean, it,
0: it, yeah.
1: Like there's that. That's a, it's another it's another kind of part of this that you always worry. And it's funny because I've been somebody who said this a lot. Like with so I'll I'll give you the example of of Kawhi Leonard. I, I Clay is another applicable one where it's like when somebody has been off for a long period of time, preliminarily due to injuries, and those injuries start in their mid to start in their late twenties or early thirties. The thing that we always forget is they would have aged anyway. So the idea that even if clay had never gotten hurt, he would have, but he would presumably be a weaker player now than he was three years ago. So you, you kind of have to count that in, even if we're going to give him a lot of deference to make his way back from that series of injuries.
0: I think that's right. And but but the point remains is you know it, your MVP kind of argument for Steph seems to be an argument for, uh, in in part based on how hopeless they are without him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now that to some degree that's a that's a comment on how good he is. On the other degree, it's it's a comment on how much trouble they're in without him, and just how much like the dearth of other other options.
1: But do you think there's a way you can take Steph Curry away? Like nobody's really been able to do that particularly well. I mean, at times the Cavs with with their the way they attacked the Warrior system were able to do it, but generally speaking, since you know, over the last 8 years they've been in a bunch of high-level series and no one's really done it.
0: I mean, I just the, the question do everything for 7 games. Yeah. Here's a, here, here's Dylan Brooks. Do every, do like he's he's going to He's going to. He he'll probably get called for some fouls because Dylan Brooks get, gets called for fouls because Dylan Brooks fun. fouls. But he's gonna. But he's. But he's gonna lean on you for. You know, he's what he, Dylan Brooks is. What two thirty? That gonna sounds. Le- that
1: sounds about right.
0: He's gonna just lean on Steph for for seven straight games, and even if they win, they, like they win that series, then they go into the next series, and then they play, you know, Phoenix, and all of a sudden it's Mikael Bridges and Torrey Craig, and and I just you. you Maybe they play Dallas somewhere in like the play-in, and as Dorian, like him having to. I mean, we've seen this with Luca, and now Steph is has been over his career a better conditioned athlete than Luca, but at the same time, he's he doesn't he's much smaller also. So, you, I, you, from a playoff standpoint, is he robust enough that he can just four straight series? Okay, well, we lose the minute Steph isn't on the floor, and we just got to win. We got to beat, win. You know, the, his minutes on the floor by 15 every night.
1: It's a completely fair point. It is a completely fair criticism of the Warriors, and that they are so dependent on, especially in the offensive end, on on, on a single player, and that they don't really have a counter. They don't really have anything else. And that, and I've had criticism of of Kerr's system as well, that it sometimes can put them in narrower boxes than they sometimes need to be in. And that's all fair. And I think there there are plenty of reasons to take the under on Golden State's title odds, just as there are for, for almost everybody. But I kind of have this grand rule of basketball, which is that if you have either just an overall level of talent, but if you have a player who can be the best player in a series, I think that just gives you a huge advantage. And you can, you know, whether you want to say the Bucks with Giannis or – the, I, if you, as long as you have that base level of competence, which is my concern about the Brooklyn Nets, because like Durant can be that guy too, but we, we, you know, they had, they might not have everything else to be there. And so, if I'm gonna make a bet, generally for me, I'm gonna make a bet against the ensemble because the history of it, I'm, the history of it is very difficult. I mean, I, I haven't pulled the stat in a few years, but back when I had a very small blog called Vegan Fish Tacos, I wrote, a, I wrote a piece, I wrote a little thing about how every, every NBA champion since I think it was seventy nine eighty had a, uh, but two or th- I think it became three had a player who had already won an NBA MVP on it, basically as a proxy of like the best player in a series. And that was a player who had already won it as opposed to a player who would eventually, one of the exceptions was that first Larry Bird title team, Bird won the MVP, I believe the next season. And so there, you know, that best player on a championship team, that group is, pretty narrow to me and you often have to play your way into it. And there, there actually aren't that many on relevant teams right now.
0: I mean, Jokic and Giannis. Right. The the former MVPs on, on teams that, 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 yeah, no, I think that, I mean,
1: it's, it's an, it's (laughs) a narrow field. And and like the, the other part of it is like players can play their way into it that's happened before. And, and honestly, to some extent, some, I think some would believe that Jokic does. I mean, as, as great as he's been, he's been a great playoff player too, but we still haven't gotten all, all, all the way there yet defensively and everything else. But yeah, it's a, it's a very narrow field and somebody could do it this year. You know, like Jason Tatum could win the MVP this year and then, and then be the best player on the championship team. But like, I, I don't, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm conservative in this specific respect that I kind of want to see it first. And that leads you being wrong sometimes. And I I will acknowledge that, but it also is the way things go.
0: I'm I'm not, I'm not arguing against that so much as it's a, it seems like you're almost making the, the same argument about the Warriors that we've sort of now in the last two years, we're maybe getting, I'm maybe getting a little more
1: confident of, well,
0: but LeBron essentially is your This yeah, is, but, but, but warriors you, a little bit,
1: but you need to reach, you need to have a baseline of competence is the, is the whole fundamental thing. And so like you can argue and I think you have, and it's, it's relevant that the warriors do not have that. And like, for example, I, I've argued that Kevin Durant, who kind of can fit that bill as an MVP caliber player who could be the best player in the series that the nets have not, but it cures, it cures a lot of things. It doesn't cure everything. Here's a lot of things. And I'm just saying that in general, teams like those flawed teams, I mean, it's funny you bring up but LeBron, like there were some really injured, messed up Cavs teams that beat some flawed like teams like the Raptors and the Hawks that had better records than they did because they had the best player. And that doesn't necessarily mean those teams or any team is going to win the championship, but in a given, in an individual series, they have a chance.
0: I, I'm going to go ahead and say, just looking at the possible play-in or playoff opponents, um, those those Raptors and Hawks teams had best players that were, you know, Demar Derozan and 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 or Kyle Lowry and Al Horford, right, or Paul sure. Millsap. Um, I'm going to go ahead and and go out on a limb and say that like Luka Doncic, John Morant, Devin Booker, Nikola Jokic, are uh, a, a a cut above kind of that level of top- end talent on on possible opponents than than those those LeBron teams had to go through
1: yeah I, I think Memphis place in the title conversation has been underappreciated because there are a lot of things that they do well and there aren't that many things that they do poorly and I be mean, it, it gets lost a little bit in the shuffle but they I think they gave the Warriors a tougher series last year than the Mavericks did Despite John Morant getting hurt and everything, and there were some context things with that, and Memphis, they're imperfect. Uh, the other thing that they have, I mean, I I'm, I really wish they still had Melton. I love Melton, but I don't know the, how much of a like a how many minutes he plays in an ideal championship team. I just love De'Anthony Melton, so I'm not a hundred percent there on them. But I think I I like the that's one of the weirdest things for me. I think if I had to like in my in my heart right now. If I had to say who is more likely to win the 2023 NBA championship, I'm saying Memphis over Phoenix, and I'm not hesitating too much.
0: On one hand, that's fair. On another hand, they have one of the great show-me, and I'll believe it, players in the league in Jaron Jackson. Sure. Um, but
1: if, to if, about- I have to, if I have to bet between Jaron Jackson delivering and, like, Chris Paul, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson—all <laughs> really whoa, putting whoa,
0: things whoa, together. Whoa, whoa, whoa! This is a M- M- Mikael Bridges slander is not permitted.
1: Oh, when I thought I'm... I thought I thought throwing out Chris Paul and Mikhail Bridges in the same phrase would would drive would drive you up. It's two of your absolute favorites, and I mean, I love Chris Paul too, of course.
0: So let's. I think we're, we're, we've talked about you talked about Memphis as a team that's kind of around there. Do we have to talk about Philly? I mean, I think we do have to talk about Philly. I mean, we do
1: it's, but I mean, okay.
0: They've been playing much better recently, but the way they've been playing better recently is not the way that I think that they're
1: actually going to be good. That's a fair point, but I'm going to go to a more basic one. Sure. Is there anything the Philadelphia 76ers can do that would make you trust them defensively against high level opponents?
0: Um play some defense against high level but it's it's we i mean not really I mean the thing with their with their top end talent on the floor they have to be they basically have to be what the celtics have been so far offensively and right it seems like they have that maybe i mean maybe not that level but they had it seems like if they get the pieces working together in concert, they should be among the top two or three offenses in the league and they they can do that and be credible defensively then you know, in a playoff series where things get a little grindy and then, you know, Embiid can, you know, patrol the paint and, and, uh, and PJ Tucker can, you know, get veteran non-calls against another team star, then who knows what happens. But we just haven't seen that, that the, their offense has not, has not been the sum of the parts or even like, it's been less than the sum of the parts Whenever they've had their full complement of players, and in 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 way, it's funny that you know removing guys from the equations is actually like freed up some other guys, Tobias Harris and and you know, Shake Milton, especially essentially. Um, well, and and
1: Maxi before he got there, yeah. I mean there was yes. there was definitely no my that like where I was going completely insane because there were these long stretches where. I mean, Harden, Harden and Embiid are both fabulous players, but there were these long stretches, like 10 possessions, where Tyrese Maxey basically never touched the ball in the front court. And that's a huge that's a huge problem. And the bigger reason, so like I think of, it's, it's such an interesting thing because they have these two high-profile centers, and so it, it kind of can be facile to compare them. But in some ways, the theory of how Philly wins a championship is a more extreme version of the Denver case, which is, their best things are just so undeniable that they can overcome their own flaws. But I think Denver is a more balanced team and they're, you know, like their, their weaknesses are not nearly as weak, especially from a scheme perspective. Like with Philly, it's, I mean, go back to that series against Atlanta. Part of the big problem there was they, (laughs) they, they faced a point guard who, if you play a drop coverage was going to annihilate you and they couldn't really do anything else. And I mean, there were all these other problems for Philly in that series,
0: but I think giving up a ten nothing run at the at the beginning of every fourth quarter because sure, DeAndre well, had to play was yeah. was there were I think, there were plenty there
1: were plenty of that. And and you could make it you know if you want to go all the way back to twenty nineteen like that they that they gave the Raptors a really hard series sure, but like with with Philly, but then you are like oh well, can they do something different now? And it's like they have Harden and Maxi, like they, they have they have sores that the other team like that aren't hard for the other team to pick at pretty easily. And I love PJ Tucker, but Philly defensively can't they, the, it, there isn't a way for them to do those things because their best player directly conflicts with the PJ Tucker at center philosophy.
0: Well, and also I don't think PJ Tucker can do that anymore. Fair enough. I think, I think oh.
1: for former Bucks executive, PJ Tucker isn't good enough anymore.
0: Yeah, Moaw. Well. I I I have disagreed with with you and Nate offline about it, and I will disagree with you online that I thought the Bucks letting him him walk was was perfectly defensible. I think keeping Portis and George essentially keeping Portis and George Hill over him was very defensible. Now, like both he and George Hill are probably um, done done at this point, but. But that still, Bobby Portis is is the the best remaining player in that group. So um, we'll see. I, I think it. it w- no, I think that's. I think I, I feel pretty confident in saying that. Uh, um, Cleveland.
1: Hmm.
0: I just, I'll just, uh, just stay that Cleveland. Is it just like get a small forward and then we'll talk, or is it? The fact that we haven't, to the extent we've seen the two bigs work together, it has been one with a little more perimeter skill than either of Cleveland's big has. Bigs have, at least offensively.
1: That's fair. I, I think it's a couple. Uh, there are a couple of different unsolvable for now, solvable eventually. Kind of the 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 mental traps that you can get into. And I don't mean traps in necessarily a negative way. And so one of them is the I'll believe when I see it. This is a group of players individually and collectively that have not had a ton of playoff success. And the general history, if we're talking about a championship is that teams like that teams don't go from zero to championship. Like that's just not the way things really work out. The other part of it is I, my current thought, and this ties into the question that you just asked is Cleveland is a team that can kind of beat anybody, but can they beat four teams? That's sort of an idea of, like, they'll run into somebody with, an, with a strength or a weakness that is just really hard for them to counter. And the that is hard to reconcile. And, and it might be that they are that damn good. and I, And I love – Donovan Mitchell's had an unbelievable start to the year. Jared Allen has been very good defensively. So you have the defensive versatility question, and then you have the can they score – Against everybody, especially if one of their options is small forward as a player that teams just straight up don't guard.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think that I think that that's right. The, the, the counterpoint, and I, they haven't been as good as these teams like across the board. like the, the two recent examples of teams kind of going from zero to championship or thereabouts are the, 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 the first warriors title team. Did not had very little playoff experience, um, un, basically unprecedented levels of, of or absence of playoff experience for for a title team. And then the 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 um, 1920 Suns, where yeah. uh, we you know you, Chris Paul was very experienced and basically nobody else had any. And those, so those are the two recent examples. And if you squint, you can kind of see. Well, adding Donovan Mitchell to this promising group of young players, but those young players aren't the the other warriors and and donovan mitchell is not chris paul so it doesn't totally work
1: yeah and i think i think the other part that's hard for cleveland is there being two really well put together championship caliber teams in their same conference so like the idea that Cleveland, like, could Cleveland beat Philly in a series? Yes, absolutely. Like, full strength, full strength, especially if they have some sort of health advantage. It wouldn't surprise me. I could see them beating Brooklyn. I could see them beating everybody else. But can I see them beating both Milwaukee and Boston, assuming, like, health variance within a reasonable realm in all three cases? It's a lot. Like, those teams are really, really, really good. And they're good in ways that I'm not entirely sure, like, what Cleveland does well is going to work perfectly, and so the idea and and a lot of times you, it's great that you brought up the teams that you did because it's like you, there is this element of like skepticism that can be cleared away, but those are you know those are challenges, especially when you think about some of the defensive elements of the Bucks and the Celtics against a theoretical Cavs playoff team.
0: Who else do we need to cover? I mean, is there is there a, a trade out there that suddenly vaults someone? I've I've been trying to trade John Collins to half the league. Um
1: uh I sure I've, I've, enough, I've so. got I've got one wild card. Hit me. New Orleans. If they throw Ooh. a lot of their stuff in and they get someone, I don't know who that someone is. I don't have this fake trade. I'm not sure if it's Miles Turner the juiciest might be, you know, theoretically Kevin Durant, but they have the bones of a team that, in in a way, would be a, you. You are a better basketball encyclopedia than I am. Of the, I don't give a crap what our, what the, your strengths and weaknesses are. You can't stop us. Like there, that you could add the right piece to the Pelicans. I think with what we've seen from Zion the last little bit it might be more of a 24 thing than a 23 thing. They're the team that has the, like that has that potential.
0: That you just, you just cannot stop us. That sort of the, uh, the Bill Walsh, I've got my, I've got my plays scripted and we're going to get two touchdowns in our first two drives. Cause you, you can't keep up with me.
1: Is yeah. And, and the, the, the idea that like you can form all the walls you want, but it's still not going to work. And it's, New Orleans like uh, did a broadcast of their game last night, which was also an incredibly impressive performance from them. Like They have players that you generally, like. It, playoffs can often be about the severity of your weaknesses rather than the severity of your strengths. They have a lot of players like that, but they also just have so much talent, and they have a lot of different players that Willie Green can turn to and not. I don't think this version, as they are currently constructed, can do it, but I think they have the resources to become an alternate version that gets there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's their their sort of three best players are an
1: odd playoff fit. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I've 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 said plenty and gotten myself in 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 hot water for for quite for my questions about Ingram as like a as a really top level guy on a playoff on like a a, a primary or secondary option on a playoff team. So we don't need to rehash that. Um, I think we have to you know, especially factoring in defense, you got to say the same thing about McCollum, and then sure. Um, Zion is enough of a wrecking ball offensively that we can maybe look past the defense. Other than the fact that, from a positionality standpoint, it's difficult to find the right pair with him. Which maybe gets us back to Miles Turner because you know you need a Brook Lopez type, and well, there's the one, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon, I don't think. And you know, is in, in this is maybe the first year where you would actually say that was more than kind of a you know a, a, a squint your eyes comparison with with Turner and and Lopez
1: right and there aren't that many truly great rim protecting centers that don't have these other flaws that's why it's you know the unicorn and it's why it's a, a game and and the other problem for the pelicans is i The other way you could do it was theoretically building, like, a hardcore switchy lineup, which would be really, really fascinating. They don't necessarily have the personnel for that yet, but you could kind of go in that direction. CJ is a terrible fit in that concept. Um, And Ingram's not necessarily the greatest either. But also, can a team like that that has Zion and a couple others in the rotation get there? Does that theory even work against the best of the best with imperfect personnel, like, if not outright bad personnel? Eh, not entirely sure.
0: Oh, uh, uh, sorry. We're talking about trades, and and our our guy Charlie dropped one in in the chat, which will melt your face. It was why do not the Warriors just trade Wiseman for Caruso?
1: I mean, they should offer it.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, I've I've been trying to,
1: yeah, but I, I
0: think the the say, fair to say the Warriors have too much organizational prestige dropped into James Wiseman. oh, oh you oh, you, like mean,
1: you mean you mean the team that that kept Allen each on their roster for multiple years when they were a championship level team because they didn't because they thought they thought they they believed in their hype enough that he was going to be a really good player. They that they would they would believe in James Wiseman? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's yes, exactly.
0: Um you yes, said I promised I'd keep you for 45 minutes. It's about 45. So um, as always, we kind of bounce from topic to topic. Anything else you want to uh, you want to hit on?
1: We've talked a little bit about the idea of like squinting and getting there. Do you feel that with the Raptors or I'm still just like nah. their offense their offense isn't good enough.
0: Nah. I mean they're they are much more an, an interesting collection of players than a dangerous a, a truly four games in, out of seven dangerous team against, uh, one of these in the mix teams.
1: Well, and I guess then the last one we can discuss briefly is where in the world is Dallas in this conversation? I mean, I, I,
0: I don't, I don't believe in them at all. I'm, you know, it's, it's the same issues that they've had for Luca's entire career in the playoffs, but worse. I mean everything. Like, take everything I said in the conversation about Steph, and apply it to a player who's just a little bit worse,
1: and to players like I mean, I, I, I think back. I don't know if you watched the end of that Raptors game. I think it was on Friday or Saturday of last week, and Toronto basically made it their entire idea of like we're going to give you a four on three with your other with your other four players, and they're not going to be able to do anything. Yep. And the answer was, you're correct, Toronto. And that's hard.
0: Yeah. I just, I, I, structurally, I, I do not believe in in the roster that they've put together. And I, I, by the way, I don't, I don't think I would have, even if they'd have kept Jalen Brunson, I don't think I would have, I would have really bought in on it. But I mean, Here's how I put it. I I, I don't I, I don't remember who I was talking to. When I said this It's like, hey, Kemba Walker's a, a perfectly fine gamble for them. But the fact that they're in a position where Kev, Kemba Walker is a perfectly fine gamble for them, I think that's that you know that that asks more questions than uh, that the, that T-shirt asks questions. Basically, I forget yes. what how that meme goes. Whatever. <laughs> um. Well, Danny, thank you for uh, f- thank you for coming on. This is, uh, as always, a uh, lot a lot of fun to chat with you about these things. Uh, hopefully, we'll do it again, Absolutely. either my show or yours.
1: One 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 home or the other home. Thank you so much for having me on, my friend. Yeah.
0: All right, thanks, Danny, for coming on, and thanks, folks, for listening. We'll be back more, next week with more call shots.